Welcome to Altus Insights podcast series with Ray and Marlin, hosted by me, Avi. This podcast will cover monthly market updates and construction cost impacts across major markets in Canada. Hello, welcome to yet another really interesting podcast. You may have noticed that each time I have to wear a different t-shirt, which is inspired by Johannes in our marketing department. He basically acts as the secret service marketing person, making sure Ray don't say anything too controversial and get us in trouble. And all our texts and Teams messages are deleted afterwards. So today's topic is interesting, somewhat controversial, and it's an oxymoron. Inclusionary zoning and affordable housing in Toronto. So inclusionary zoning, what is it? On the city website, they basically say, I'm going to read this. The city of Toronto has adopted an inclusionary zoning policy that will create new residential developments to include affordable housing units, creating mixed income housing. Our city is growing and we want to make sure new housing is affordable for all for those who call Toronto home. So this version by Z basically pushes the cost of affordable housing onto the market side of it. That seems to be the way it's going, but we'll discuss that in a moment. So I think we should start questioning the city having any form of credibility or intent around making housing affordable. So what is IZ? In essence, it's a phasing approach uh, with any any application for SBA after September 18th of this year. Starts off painful for condo from day one, and then by January 1st, 2026, they start to make purposeful rental less feasible. It's already not looking great. And by 2030, we basically have little or no development left if we carry on in this process. So each step adds a percentage of affordable requirement, either rental or ownership, gives nothing back in return, zero incentives, starts at 10% on the ownership side, eventually hits 22%, and for rental, it goes at about 5% at the top end. There are different areas or zones, one, two, and three, um, and each of them has a slightly different requirement based on the base level of affordability in the first place. The good news is, though, inclusionary zoning is likely to help construction costs. They're likely to come under control in that once our in inclusionary zoning starts having an impact in the market, we're going to have nothing left to build. Bad news is price of tents are likely to go up. Honestly, I think at this point, which is probably a bad introduction because we're sort of indicating what we're going to talk about, I think Monty Python has struggled to write a sketch as good as the approach to inclusionary zoning in Toronto if they actually put effort into it. So as I said, today's topic is a little controversial. Um, what, to help us along the way, we have um, Ray, who's basically taking a break from his world tour and professional golf circuit. And um, there's a rumor Live Golf offered him $10 to move over and he turned it down because he likes doing the podcast too much. And we have the more sensible guest this week, who's the guy who's looking nice and uncomfortable now because they made too many inappropriate jokes. And that's the myth and the legend in the GTA when it comes to all things residential land. We've got John Galuzzo with us. So, John, do you want to say hello, give a quick introduction to yourself as this is your first podcast? Sure. And thank you for having me, Marlon and Ray. I'm glad to be here. Yes. So I've been with Altus since 2015 and managed the land valuation practice here. We've had a phenomenal ride thus far in terms of both land valuation activity and, and project valuation activity. You know, up until late with the most recent increases to DCs, the IZ uh, coming around the corner, and of course, uh, interest rates having a major impact on our industry. It'll be interesting to see the net result over the next six to 12 months in terms of actual impact to the land development industry in Toronto. So in the introduction, obviously, I gave my view on inclusionary zoning. You may have got the hint I'm not overly a fan of inclusionary zoning with nothing actually being given back to inspire it or enable in it. What do you think the impact on inclusionary zoning is going to be on the overall development market in the city of Toronto? 
I think there's going to be very little impact in the sense that we're not going to see any IZ units for at least five or six years. And the reason for that was the astute developers already started getting their chess pieces in order in 2021 and even earlier in terms of pushing forward their development applications and site plan applications on land holdings that they had in inventory and effectively have grandfathered themselves, thereby not requiring to provide any type of affordable housing or IZ-defined housing since they've made it in, in time prior to the September 18th cutoff of this year. And if you ask any planning consultant in the city, they've all been working overtime for the last two years, pushing forward these development applications and site plan applications. And if you look at the number of units that have been effectively submitted in terms of complete development applications, there are thousands and thousands of units now that have been grandfathered. So effectively, if we could say that in the Toronto market, the best years, we can build out 25,000 apartment suites. We effectively have enough supply for the next five to seven years, at least, if not more, in terms of drilling applications. So the earliest in my, this is just a, a gut feeling that I have, uh, unless we're able to increase the productivity level of constructing these, these units, which I haven't seen thus far, we're not going to see any IZ units for at least eight to 10 years. And effectively, unfortunately, that's going to hurt supply, not not help supply. So in essence, the unprecedented number of applications just means all inclusionary zoning did was inspire every person to throw in applications as quickly as humanly possible, which actually is likely to result in no affordable units in the mid to short term. And then in the long term, it's damaging because then it impacts the development market in the longer term in that it makes it less viable in theory. Correct. So right now then, if IZ is probably not the biggest issue in the market, what would, would you say is the, the, the biggest issue right now in terms of the midterm? Is it, it's probably interest rates versus, say, TGS, IZ, and I know DCs and stuff, but would you say the interest rates is the, the bigger impact right now or bigger concern in the short midterm? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. We're seeing it. Investors have, have gone into hiding. Condo investors have gone into hiding because the numbers don't pencil out. Purposeful rental projects have been canceled, partly because construction costs have gone through the roof, not not solely interest rates. Uh, the institutional funds are not uh, as impacted by higher interest rates as, call it, uh, high net worth families that may have an existing apartment portfolio and are, are looking to expand that by, by building new product out. So I think the interest rates is definitely the biggest impact to land development in the city over and above the, the impact from IZ. It's interesting with, and uh, John made comments regards to the investors and and with the, the re- recent increase with the Bank of Canada, agree that there is, a, a, anytime you see that type of change in the marketplace, you see a bit of a pause for, for, um, for people to sort of, what does this mean with existing portfolio? What does it mean on, with pending transactions or, 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 or things they're looking at? So the challenge what we have, and uh, John alluded to this, is that we really haven't seen the impact on values yet because of some of the transactions that haven't taken place yet. But there's definitely a bit of a hesitation from an investor standpoint based on these changes and based on on the future 
profitability on some of the sites. So right off the bat, with any new projects without an application in place, we'll have a bit of a discount to it just because of they can't realize certain, uh, based on the price of the land, certain uh, returns that they're expecting on, on projects. So the challenge of what we're going to have here, and and um, you know, I'm on the same uh, line as as John, that it's going to cause that that pause in the marketplace. And and even though that prior to this, there, there was quite a bit of activity, especially with with um, some of the office buildings that were going to re- be redeveloped into residential condo or multi-purpose uh, um, multifamily rentals. So we, we're seeing a pause in, in all the, the, those areas. And definitely that um, we're in typically with, with land, developers like to, to, to land bank down the road. But the challenge with the IZ, uh, IZ is that it creates a certain amount of uncertainty on returns down the road. So it's basically creating a risk environment but the, the short-term impact is more likely to be the interest rates. And I know the theory in the background reports were all that eventually that this will all correct itself out, land prices might correct in theory to do it. But realistically, I think the general consensus seems to be that basically the market homes are going to be paying for the inclusion rezoning ultimately, especially if this is a mid to long-term issue versus short-term. So isn't it kind of the opposite effect to what the policy intended in that 95% or 90% of the people have to pay for everyone else's affordable housing in theory? Or am I misunderstanding it? Yeah, I'll take that one. And effectively, today, if you're going to run a performa, the value of the density that's apportioned to the inclusionary zoning would likely be a negative number. But given the lack of recent transactions that we know will be impacted by IZ, we haven't had third-party market support to justify what that impact would be. So for now, the, the IZ density has a zero value, effectively. And in that assumption, we're assuming that the market density will absorb any of the shortfall that that will be taken that the developers will take from from that seven to ten percent of IZ, and because the developers have the opportunity to uh, choose the tenure of the IZ, i.e., tenure being ownership or rental, the city is providing incentives for rental because the percentage allocation for rental tenure is lower. So I would believe that the astute developers in the city would elect to do the rental tenure and they can sell off those units to investors to a third party investor after Marlon. But um, to answer your question, I think in certain neighborhoods, high profile neighborhoods, midtown neighborhoods, where you don't have a substantial supply issue, I think the market will absorb that Delta. Yeah. Because in effect, again, one key factor is IZ is not impacted to smaller boutique buildings. So anything less than 100 suites, I think it's 99 suites or less, is not impacted by IZ. So what you're going to have is where a developer could have a mid-rise building in Midtown, 120 to 150 suites, smaller, medium size, they're going to end up building 99 large suites for the downsizer community. So they can massage it to try and avoid the whole IZ impact where possible, of course. But again, 
those smaller projects, we all know the cost to develop is, is much, much greater on a per square foot basis as opposed to a 200 unit or 200,000 square foot project. Yeah, and I know we ran some pro formas where we were looking, if you went down the re- affordable rental route and you looked at the differential in value between the assets at the end of the condo, what the developer could sell for versus what the rental in theory would be worth. In essence, each of those market condo purchases has to pick up about twenty-seven dollars to $35,000 each as an offset to maintain the same profitability. And I think I agree with you in the large number of the areas this is going to target, i.e. the the, the, the main IZ1 area they're looking at, that's going to be the, the route that the developer takes is basically increase the market housing, which again goes back to, I think the point we made of this, that that was never the intent of this policy. Um, when you look at this policy, and obviously the it's the old unintended consequences. We, we I think we all agree inclusionary zoning is actually a good idea. We need more affordable housing. It's how they've, put it together, i.e. there's no bonus density, there's no offset. Um, what have you guys seen in other areas or other parts of the country where they've done inclusionary zoning? So I think Vancouver maybe has, uh, you get density bonuses and whatnot to offset it. And would that solve the problem with the inclusionary zoning is just that other side of the scale may be an incentive to help the developer make the pro forma make sense? Uh, I, I wouldn't say incentive it's it sort of offsets those additional costs which anything like that helps and with toronto being void of that i think there's a certain um disadvantage and i just want to go back a little bit to some of the other comments on the early interest rates that we were already heading down that sort of slowdown on on the um, on, on the, the the condo res res market, prices remain high, and again, it, it, it's, it's also based on the offset of the material cost. But the other issue that we're running into is that there was already a bit of a slowdown in the marketplace, and the interest rates are really impacting more of the users or the more of the end users of of the the condos. So they basically dropped off from affordability. But from from investor standpoint, activity compared to last year is still up, but it's heading in a downwards word um, word spiral. So with with all those other factors that developers are dealing with right now in the Toronto marketplace, by having some type of of offset or incentive to create the these this the the housing concept. And again, Marla, I, I I totally agree with you that it's in concept it's good, but having the proper tools in place available to um, the developers to help help them get through all these other changes that they're seeing, not, not including IZAD, but as well as the interest rates and the higher um, material and labor costs, and as well as um, that based on um, a bit of a slower demand for um, uh, from the buyer activity standpoint. Yeah, and we've, we've spoken a lot about condos, but to me, does this make inclusionary zoning on purposeful rental, considering the challenges we always have, does that make any sense at all? Because couldn't you argue purposeful rental already needs some sort of cost offset to make work? And we know municipalities are trying to push purposeful rental, and they're not really making a whole lot of headway. We had the peak out, and now we seem to be dropping rapidly in places like Toronto in particular, and even Vancouver leveling. So other than Montreal, rental seems to be going in the opposite direction, less supply. Yeah, and, and it's also reflective in, in, in the rental rates across the country with um, less less supply and sort of the catch-up rents based on the rents negotiated sort of pre-pandemic have gone up. So whether or not, do you think that the market's going to sort of correct that based on the short supply? 
and the increased cost to justify some about some of that development and, and create a little bit higher returns. But again, over the last couple of years, especially with the owners of multifamily, is a bit of a catch up in the way of um, of, um, of of revenue lost in or um, in the last two years. Yeah, and, and and that's the concern I have is I, I don't understand the logic behind inclusory zoning on purposeful rental at all. It's even, it seems even odder than on the condo side of things in the uh, rentals already struggling as well. So in 2026, I know there's a, a moratorium on it coming up until 2026, but even then in 2026, does that not just automatically render all yields really, really bad? And without any offset whatsoever. And obviously, right now we're in a unique environment. Interest rates are going up. Cap rates are likely going to change slightly, which I think is the the bigger concern. But I I don't understand how this all this math will work. And I, I know when we had the pre-discussion is we were talking a lot about the CMHC numbers as well. So CMHC came out of their report. Uh, for anyone that hasn't seen it. And basically, they looked across Canada. We're definitely short on homes. They looked in Ontario, and as this is a Toronto-specific one, they basically said that we need another 1.8 million homes by 2030 to have any chance of affordability in the province, on top of the 600,000 or so we're already building. So basically, we'd have to double, treble the number of homes under construction. So how does... The, the federal government saying we have a housing shortage. Obviously, the province has got the, the task force trying to deal with this. And now we've got the municipality constraining through inclusionary zoning. Surely we, there's a, a massive disconnect here between what each level is doing. And, and again, I think that's always been um, the, the challenges with some of the new policies. The intention is is on the positive side, but in a way of practical sense and in a way of the impact to the developers and how these the, these projects are built, it doesn't make sense. And it, it, it is causing a bit of a havoc on the housing side, especially with that CMHC report. We, we're already gonna have some challenges in delivering what, what what we're sort of missing. And I think this pushes that that delay even longer in a way of it's going to slow down the, the overall building process. Never mind, again, it's almost like a perfect storm when you get back into the cost, the labor, the interest rates, and on the on on the on the price point, and now with uh, the the increase in immigration coming in Canada, it'll be interesting to see where people actually live, or or where is that shift? Is a is a shift more into going back to your your extreme of tents, but is it the extreme of so the other secondary and tertiary markets that people have to consider, whereby for for immigrants is a little bit more challenging because. The lack of jobs in some of those smaller communities. Yeah, and housing is affordable in Manitoba. Nothing against Manitoba, but it still has relative affordable housing compared to Toronto. So, John, if we go through what we've spoke about today about inclusionary zoning, and then we've just concluded we know CMHC wants to ramp up housing, the province does. If we're going to ramp up housing construction, won't that have the opposite impact on land prices in theory? In that, if the demand goes through the roof and there's only so many sites. Wouldn't that then, if you own a piece of land, it probably looks good in the mid to long term, even with inclusionary zoning, doesn't it? Again, theoretically, because I know <laughs> when you do use stuff, you have to be sort of impartial towards that sort of stuff. Right. And, and and this is why I get asked often by clients, where do I see land values in, in the short term and the long term? And because of all these development apps, and I'm just talking about the Toronto yeah. market for the time being, but because of all these own applications that have been pushed through with the intent of being grandfathered, there's more than enough entitled land supply in the, in the condo format. This is not an issue for low-rise housing. 
we definitely have a shortage of service lots in the Greater Golden Horseshoe. Those uh, land values are likely more protected than high density land values. Because we have ample supply, in my opinion, and when I say ample supply, although we have the immigration coming, if that immigration, if there's a good percentage of that immigration coming in the next five years are going to enter the trades and help increase the physical ability to complete these projects and increase supply, then that might offset somewhat. But I think there's going to be a major disconnect from landowners today and land purchasers tomorrow. The land purchasers tomorrow want a discount to account for IZ, construction costs, higher interest rates. And the landowners today say, I have no pressure to sell. Why would I sell today? Just because interest rates have increased. I'm just going to defer my, my divesture from this, from this holding for another couple of years when things, when the dust settles. And guess what? Immigration will be back. Land values will be up again. And we're going to be, we're going to be a bit more like Vancouver where the land values in for high density land in Vancouver are way higher than they are in Toronto. And I, you know, it was a head shake a couple of years ago. How do you, how do you guys make it work? How do the developers work? They find a way to make it work. And effectively, the only way that it works is the market housing has to absorb the increased cost that the developers have to incur. And again, the developers don't make their 15 to 20 percentage points in profit. They're not going to bother developing. So, yeah, I, yeah, I still remember when we had the first $200 a square foot land transaction and we, we had the specific rest. How, how can you guys underwrite this? And we had to do a lot of extra work. And nowadays, if you look back at 200 bucks a square foot for that land, they'd have their arm ripped off if they put that back on the right now. So, exactly. It's, and from an intern, yeah, sorry to interrupt yeah. you, but from an international perspective, Paris, New York, Miami, London, we're still affordable. Yeah we are still considered affordable. We're just not affordable for for local Torontonians that are in in the service sector that, you know, don't earn more than 200,000 a year. So that's that's really the challenge. So I think as a city and developers do want to help, they do want to provide more housing. I think we need the the governments to say, you know, no DCs, no, no CBCs and try and give some real incentives to the developers to encourage, not discourage. Unfortunately, in my opinion, the IZ is a discouraging uh, bylaw, unfortunately. And hopefully, who knows? Hopefully with the new mayor, it may get modified in the future or new council. Uh, it may get modified in the next term. We do we do have a municipal election coming up. I know it's not easy to, to overturn these bylaws once they're set, but who knows what's in the card in the cards in the future. Yeah, we need a second look, a bit more of a collaborative approach with the development industry versus, and I've said this before, the baseball bat to the knees has never, ever worked historically. So it needs a bit more collaboration. And the the, the horrible theory we all worry about is that the government decides to try and solve affordable housing by building it themselves, which, again, highly likely to be a disaster and cost a hell of a lot more than if we can just solve this problem in a collaborative way and, and more rational. Um, I, I find if governments stop spending so much time all pointing at each other, blaming the next guy up the food chain for everything, and I recognize revenues are tight, but realistically, you got to deal with the overall revenue regime between property taxes and whatnot, continually hammering development and new housing makes no sense. And I understand, like, it's an election. 
councillor's going to get elected. He's basically got to keep the existing everyone happy, the NIMBYs and stuff happy. Doesn't care about the new homes. Then when he gets in, he can try and do some stuff. But the whole structure doesn't work right now, which we touched on in our affordability podcast. I think you're right. We need a complete rethink here and a bit more of a collaborative approach rather than this. Everyone assumes the developer's making a ton of money. Like some of these guys are making 10%. You go, oh, 10% return. Yeah, it, it took eight years to get the project through the whole cycle. So divide 10% by eight years. <laughs> All of a sudden, for the level of risk, it doesn't quite look as pretty as some other places could be. So uh, I think we have some challenges. So it sounds like but basically the conclusion I got from this is IZ's more of a mid-long-term issue unless someone corrects it. The immediate concern is around the interest rates, but inclusion is only needs dealing with sooner rather than later because it will be an anchor and has the opposite effect of... Um, what CMHC is trying to propose right now in the housing supply and obviously the provincial task force. Uh, did you gents have anything else you wanted to conclude with? Well, yeah, what I was going to say is you had referred to the accretive additional cost on the market housing. You, you had run some performers that worked with the 30 yeah. or 35,000 a unit. Well, that we can solve that issue right now with giving them DC credits on the affordable housing and reduce, give them a 10-year reprieve from property taxes or a discount on property taxes on those affordable units, right? Why are we charging tenants on affordable units at 2% tax rate or 1.25% tax rate? It makes absolutely no sense. So that would be my suggestion. Make it a partnership more so than, than just an offload to the development industry. I think the development industry has done a wonderful job over the last 20 years in Toronto. And because of that, we've grown and, and we're an international city now. So we should keep it going rather than try and kill it. That's how I'll uh, end off. You got something, Ray? And we, we talked about this in, in previous calls. This is this is something that we've had for a number of years and we know that is not a quick solution. But I just echo um, John's comments with um, collaboration and discussion and more communication between the different levels of government because it's going to take a number of um, bold decisions and changes to change the direction with some of the shortage and some of the affordability issues going forward. But again, the challenge with it is that it was the IZ and now is the interest rates and there's other other factors are dealing with it. And we just have to try to face this thing head on. And I think we're just having more and more challenges facing us with um, housing affordability shortage. Yeah, and I agree. And I know I tend to be a little harsh on the city when it comes to this sort of stuff, but that's more sort of frustration in that it's just one thing after another. And I, I do recognize the city, uh, the staff, they have their hands tied behind the back in terms of revenue sources, and they are trying to cover off budgets. But this wasn't necessarily the solution. And to John's point, I think the collaborative approach and the suggestions John had, that's the way we should have always done business in the first place. This The, the IZ seems a bit of a disingenuous approach to things that basically was overly heavy-handed and ultimately results in the opposite. And again, we know with examples from San Francisco and Portland, this has been done. This isn't us just saying it's not going to work. It's been proved it doesn't work. So hopefully, as John said, so, some sober heads uh, come around at some point and we see a different version of inclusionary zoning that, that sort of gets everybody what they need. So thanks very much for joining us today, John. It was nice to have a sensible person rather than being stuck with Ray all the time. And Ray, it was nice of you to come off the links in Calgary and actually pop into an office to make it look like you do some work. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> okay. Cheers, gents. My pleasure. Take yeah. care. Okay. Thanks. 
So we'll just sign off for the day. The only thing we will mention is, obviously, we've got an upcoming podcast. Now, this one's super exciting. It's based on Back to the Future theme, and it's GTA Cost Escalation Volatility, the past, the present, and the future. And that's going to be with the most exciting person in escalation, David Schoonians. 